1966, a social scientist by the name of John Garrett Davies conducted research into the Rhine Hill area of the Ellswick Ward in the West End of Newcastle upon Tyne. During which, when asked what he thought of one of his neighbors, one of his respondents replied, they drink, they fight, and they play wonderful. Indeed, although home to a number of respectable residents, Rhine Hill was an area renowned for low wages, overcrowding, prostitution, disease, decay, and people with curious lifestyles, and one in which an overwhelming majority of its inhabitants hoped to move out of. Yet Rhine Hill was also an area that witnessed high levels of immigrant settlement during the 1960s. Indians and Pakistanis especially, who as throughout Britain, arrived as independent agents within a largely unofficial immigration framework, were attracted to the area as a result of low property prices and the accessibility of owner occupation and landlord status. Also during the mid-1960s, 800 miles away, in the city of Bremen in northern Germany, guest workers were arriving to work in the city's post-war re-emerging trade and industrial sectors. Some of the largest recruiters of guest workers in the city included Agiveza and Tremafulkan, two shipbuilding companies, Bremafulkemachai, a wool textile company, the Kluckner Steel and Metal Works, and the Bremen Fegesack Fishing Company. As was the case throughout much of West Germany, what emerged was a story involving recruitment offices, medical examinations, and temporary contracts, and one that was dominated by isolation, confusion, prejudice, racism, and the everyday experiences of working for a company where one is considered nothing more than a temporary supply of manpower. As was the case throughout Germany, newspapers reveled in claims that guest workers were housed in ghetto-style accommodation in districts of the city marked by social problems. Surviving documents exposed instances of overcrowding, a lack of heating and hot water, poor sanitary conditions, noise, filth, isolation, segregation, barracks being too small and poorly lit, pipes freezing in the winter, and guest workers having to sleep on the floor. From steel welders to fish gutters, Bremen's Muslim guest workers were at the very heart of the city's economy, yet they were ostracized from its mainstream neighborhoods. This paper begins with these two case studies of initial settlement and residential patterns. Two cases that despite the inherent differences between our overarching immigration paradigms, both might be assumed to have had negative consequences on long-term settlement and integration. Through an examination of South Asian Muslims in Newcastle and Turkish Muslims in Bremen from the 1960s to the 1990s, this paper will argue that employment and housing patterns and experiences have often acted as catalysts for instances of cohesion, integration, and multiculturalism within both cities' neighborhoods. This paper will not offer an authoritative and comprehensive account of post-war Muslim immigration to Newcastle and Bremen, but rather aims to recognize some of the more positive aspects of their settlement patterns and neighborhood formation by drawing upon government documents, census data, and oral history interviews. It also hopes to contribute to the still developing body of literature that considers religion, and specifically Islam, in the study of ethnic minority settlement. There are four key arguments and themes that run throughout. Firstly, in assessing the impact that Britain and Germany's differing post-war immigration frameworks 
how on a long-term integration of Muslim immigrants, it challenges the notion that these histories should be seen as contrasting. Instead, it exposes the manner in which Newcastle and Bremen's Muslim ethnic minority populations demonstrated a growing similarity in behavior, performance, and attitude in employment and housing over time, and thus also with regards to neighborhood formation. Whilst this convergence has previously been recognized with regards to immigration policy and the evolution of multiculturalism through the works of Panikos Panayi and Simon Green, for example, it is yet to be comprehensively considered from the viewpoint of migrant experiences. Secondly, this paper assesses the role of Islam in determining the performances and behavior of Muslim ethnic minorities in employment and housing, and in their attitude towards neighborhoods. This is especially important at a time at which the academic literature is increasingly calling for the role of Islam to be recognized, and is awarding more and more focus to Muslim migrants specifically, and at a time at which Europe has been accused of failing to address Islamic fundamentalism and integrate its Muslim ethnic minorities. The works of Humayun Ansari, Sophie Gilabrey, Philip Lewis, Tariq Madud, Zachary Shore, Bruce Bauer, and research conducted by the, by the Federal Office for Migration and Refugees in Nuremberg constitute only a few of the relevant works. Thirdly, this study seeks to question the conventional wisdom of the established literature on ethnic minority populations in Britain and Germany. A large proportion of the literature has long reveled in claims of isolated and exploited migrant communities whose employment and housing experiences are dominated by discrimination, segregation, underachievement, and a lack of opportunities. In Britain, disadvantage is increasingly being highlighted regarding Muslim ethnic minorities specifically, with the works of Ken Clark, Stephen Drinkwater, and Harry Peach being but a few examples. The academic literature addressing Germany has been slower to recognize religion and migrants' employment and housing performances. Perhaps as a result of the fact that the official data, such as that offered by the German Socioeconomic Panel, does not include information on religious affiliation, research is still encouraged along ethnic lines, with an overwhelming emphasis being placed on the Turkish community. Many studies, including those of Ruth Madel, Leo Lukasen, Hanifos Panayi, Nadia Bonato, and Frank Coulter, have repeatedly stressed experiences dominated by disadvantage and a lack of opportunities. In both countries, it has been forcefully argued that ethnic minorities have been pushed into low-quality housing and have limited residential mobility, and that businesses are often the consequences of restrictive and unsuccessful employment scenarios. To the contrary, this paper argues for the triumph of minority agency over institutional and non-institutional constraints. In both Newcastle and Bremen, Migrant success has been witnessed in their pursuit of independence and self-determination in the employment and housing sectors, and the shape of self-employment and owner-occupation, as well as in the formation of neighborhoods along both ethnic and religious lines. Rather than perceive this self-sufficiency as a failure to integrate, this paper exposes the manner in which Muslim migrants have succeeded in engaging with and maneuvering their local surroundings in order to achieve their long-term aims. The fourth and final argument is regarding the impact that the size of an ethnic minority community can have on its overall levels of integration. While certainly being controversial, there is no doubt that Newcastle's Muslim migrant population 
has benefited from being a smaller and more close-knit community than many of those in other British cities. This has benefited both the migrants' performances in and the local authorities' policies regarding the employment and housing sectors. This was also the case for Bremen, although not to the same extent, as after a late start, the city's Muslim ethnic minority population eventually grew to be much larger than that in Newcastle. I will start by giving some background to both cities' ethnic minority communities. Newcastle, as I'm sure we're all aware, has never been perceived as a major British ethnic minority hub. The city's Indian, Pakistani, and Bangladeshi population stood at 5,704 in 2001, although this figure only includes those people born in India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, and therefore the figure was, of course, much higher as a result of those actually born in Britain. Regarding the Muslim migrant community specifically, the 2001 census, the first to include a question on religious affiliation, recorded 9,430 Muslims in the city, which constituted 3.6% of the total population of just under 260,000. Yet despite their relatively small numbers, Newcastle's Muslim ethnic minority communities have demonstrated clear and stable settlement and housing patterns. As in other British cities, South Asians in Newcastle have tended to become concentrated in certain districts, with many initially settling in areas in the west end of the city, such as Elzig and Fenham, so these two neighborhoods here, Fenham and Elzig, Heaton in the east of the city, and um, Jesmond just north of the city center, so Jesmond and Heaton in the east. These areas were initially popular amongst migrants because they were home to property they found suitable. This included large terrace houses that were used by a number of different households and the availability of both furnished and unfurnished rented accommodation. These were areas that initially had a magnetism over the city's Muslim migrants due to their affordable housing and have since maintained their attraction through the harboring of a particular ethnic and religious identity. Compared to Newcastle, Bremen has traditionally been home to a greater number of ethnic-minority inhabitants. By 2009, Bremen had a total of 150,626 residents with a migration background, of which 336,406 were of Turkish origin, and thus constituted by far the largest ethnic group. This was out of a total population of just under 550,000. Whilst there is no official data available on the number of Muslims in Germany, the figure for both Bremen and Bremerhaven, both cities within the state of Bremen, was estimated to be just over 40,000 in 2002, the vast majority of which lived in the city of Bremen. Like Newcastle, Bremen has also experienced ethnic minority residential concentration. By the early 1990s, Industriehefen, or the Industrial Harbor District, this area here, was over 39% migrant. Older residential subdistricts, sub such as Lindenhof and Grubelingen, to the west of the city, and in the downtown area called Das Viertel, which is near the city central, or Mitte, which is in this area here, 
They both experienced ethnic minority concentration already during the 1970s and continued to do so. The 1980s witnessed the beginning of an increase in the number of ethnic minorities living in the social housing developments in areas on the outskirts of the city, such as Tenevere and Osterholz to the east, that area there, and grown in the north in the area of Fegesat, so up there in the northern part of the city. And both of these areas were around 20% migrant by the early 1990s. And it's also these latter areas in Bremen that also experience high levels of social disadvantage. <clears throat> this notion of ethnic minority residential segregation is certainly nothing new. To the contrary, the development of major migrant neighborhoods has long captured the attention of both politicians and academics, with the most notorious examples being perhaps Tower Hamlets in London and the Kreuzberg area in Berlin. Yet what the case studies of Newcastle and Bremen offer is perhaps an entire insight into two comparably smaller and more close-knit Muslim ethnic minority communities, in which positive experiences have arguably been more visible. Indeed, with regards to Newcastle, the few studies and reports that do exist on the topic have portrayed migrants' housing and employment experiences in a largely positive light. In fact, John Gower Davies and John Taylor used Newcastle as a case study to challenge John Rex and Robert Moore's groundbreaking 1967 work, Race, Community, and Conflict, in which they forcefully argued that immigrants suffered high levels of discrimination in the housing sector and were consequent, consequently forced into low-quality housing. Positive employment and housing traits have also been witnessed amongst Turkish Muslims in Bremen, where despite suffering a chronological delay as a result of the constraints imposed by the guest worker system, they have also gradually displayed clear patterns regarding economic and residential independence and neighborhood formation. Some of the employment traits of Newcastle South Asian Muslims are as follows. As elsewhere in Britain, practices in Newcastle have been largely dependent upon ethnicity rather than religion. Yet amongst all major South Asian groups in Newcastle, government documents have argued that entrepreneurialism has traditionally been much higher than was the norm across Britain. Like Indians, Pakistanis often initially worked as bus drivers and conductors, mechanics, draughtsmen, clerks and technicians until they were financially able to establish their own businesses. Others started working as traveling salesmen, known as credit drapers, who sold pieces of clothing door to door, many of whom eventually opened tailor shops and small grocery stores. Bangladeshis often worked in Newcastle's restaurants and takeaways, often as kitchen staff. Many eventually hoped and did open takeaways and restaurants of their own many of which were co-owned and constitute a community venture. There are numerous reasons for which I argue that this entrepreneurialism should be perceived as a success. Rather than entrepreneurship having been the undesired consequence of discrimination, racism, or poor race relations, it appears as though it was the chosen employment path of many of the city's South Asian Muslims. Furthermore, it gradually grew from a hidden practice in the form of door-to-door peddlers in market stalls to a much more visible and complex phenomenon in the shape of shops, restaurants, and business networks. 
This long-term goal of becoming self-employed and the practice of working and saving up the sufficient financial capital to do so was, of course, not particular to Newcastle. Sheila Allen Stewart Bentley and Joanna Bornett study on Indian, Pakistani, and West Indian response, respondents in Bradford followed the same pattern, with many having initially worked in factories, mills, and transport. Similarly, both Panina Verbner and Humayun Ansari have argued that Punjabi businessmen in Manchester also often started working out in the factories or in the public transport sector. In Newcastle, most of the businesses established were the result of personal entrepreneurial judgment, and businessmen rarely made use of public advice and assistance available. Rather than approach banks, small business development agencies, or the local authority, most of Newcastle's ethnic minority businessmen sought support from within their own, their own communities, and often used past successful businesses as models for future ones. In this sense, these businesses were often community ventures. Many of these businessmen were proud that their businesses were running successfully without any type of external assistance. And they've never been sub subjected to some of the problems suffered by ethnic minority businessmen in other areas, such as trouble securing financial assistance or being situated in areas of low profitability. Furthermore, Newcastle South Asian Muslim businessmen's desire to maintain economic independence is also seen in the manner in which they cope with racial harassment. Government reports from the mid-1990s, for example, revealed that 67% of South Asian traders had experienced harassment of some form. This was often intimidation, theft, verbal abuse, vandalism, and even assault. Many of the victims were too proud to report such incidents and instead preferred to deal with them independently in the same way that they actually set up their businesses in the first place. Few expressed an interest to partake in any type of business support network, claiming that they received all the help and support they needed from within their own communities. These businesses continue to play a vast role in Newcastle and have long been looked upon favorably by the city's council. The council has tended to perceive ethnic minority entrepreneurship as an alternative source of income and sees these businesses as having the potential to help regenerate ethnic minority neighborhoods. It is claimed that the participation of ethnic minorities in businesses should be encouraged and that any barriers present in the founding and running of these businesses should be removed. During the 1990s, the local government proposed the establishment of an Asia town showing the extent to which South Asian businesses were seen as a permanent and influential part of the local economy. Many of these same traits have also been present in Bremen. Despite suffering a chronological delay as a result of the initial guest worker years, widespread entrepreneurialism gradually emerged amongst Bremen's Turkish Muslims. As in Newcastle, the reasons given for becoming self-employed tended to revolve around personal ambition rather than negative experiences in the German labor market. This optimistic interpretation of migrant entrepreneurship as a conscious employment choice practiced by Turks as a way in which to promote their social mobility is an argument that has largely been pioneered for the Center for Turkish Studies in Essen and one that has been gaining credibility and support, especially since the 1990s. Indeed, in Bremen, entrepreneurship was an ambition for many from the very beginning.
As elsewhere in Germany, Turkish businesses in Bremen are no longer concentrated in the retail and catering trades, but instead are diversifying into other sectors and offering what the government calls innovative and modern services. The majority of these businesses are in the restaurant and catering trade, the service sector, retail, wholesale trading, and building and manufacturing. Diversification has gradually increased with the second generation. And a 2004 government document went as far as to draw comparisons with Indian and Chinese entrepreneurs in the United States. The search for independence amongst Bremen's Muslims was also witnessed in the manner in which the businesses were established. As has historically been the case among South Asians in Newcastle, Turks in Bremen rarely sought external assistance or advice. Only around one-fifth did, and of these, 75% approached either family or friends. In fact, only 7% of the business owners took advantage of the professional advice available. Similarly, less than 16% made use of public funding, with 46% clearly stating that they had no need for it. Yet despite this overwhelming disregard of accessible funds and assistance, just under 64% of respondents had experienced some type of difficulty in setting up their businesses in the first place. These included financial problems, difficulties establishing a customer base, problems with the bureaucracy involved in the German language, and issues that arose from a lack of business acumen. Furthermore, once established, over 46% of these Turkish businesses had no contact with German economic institutions, and 62% did not become members of the German Employers Association. This tendency for Turkish businessmen to rely primarily on their own savings, and sometimes on their families and friends, when necessary for support and finance, was not particular to Bremen. And the literature on Germany has increasingly stressed this as a widespread and well-established practice. Furthermore, as in Newcastle, interviews in Bremen revealed a confidence in the ethnic minority community amongst Muslim businessmen to be able to offer any type of funding and backing that might be necessary. As in Newcastle, the role these businesses play in the local economy has long been recognized. The local government has placed a large emphasis on looking after these businesses and offering them tailored support, and has repeatedly stressed the manner in which they contribute to various sectors of the local economy and bring an international dimension to it. As well as promoting the survival and development of ethnic minority businesses, Bremen's government has gone as far as to perceive them as part of wider integration measures and thus as an integrator of integration. Indeed, during the last 10 to 15 years especially, migrant entrepreneurship has been an important aspect of the states of Bremen's integration policies and, con and concepts. Now, there are clear parallels in both cities between the employment and the housing sectors. Um, in Newcastle, Pakistanis, like Indians, have largely preferred owner occupation and shunned council housing, as has long been recognized to be the norm across Britain. Property ownership has often been accompanied by a sense of pride and achievement. As with their businesses, they have overwhelmingly succeeded in securing funds for their properties in the way they chose to do so, be it through banks, 
building societies, loans, or with the support from their own communities. Unlike, was on his, unlike it has often been argued was the case during the 1960s and 1970s especially, few appeared to have any trouble securing mortgages and purchasing property. Newcastle's salvation population was both small and loyal, and informal measures within the community were put in place to make home ownership possible. Migrants who were new to Newcastle tended to initially live as paying guests with relatives or friends for as long as it took them to accumulate the necessary financial capital to purchase their own properties. They would then take in paying guests of their own. As soon as it was financially possible, migrants would purchase a second home, live in the better of the two, and rent out rooms in the other one, usually to fellow migrants. Overall, they had established their own community support system, were managing to secure mortgages and purchase property, and were overwhelmingly content with their residential surroundings. They have long been able to manipulate and use the housing market to serve their own interests. They preferred property ownership for a number of reasons. Some felt more secure in their own homes, and others purchased multiple properties and rented them out, viewing them as part of their entrepreneurial portfolios alongside the shops and businesses. One often led to the other. So for example, it was not uncommon for landlords to use their profits to set up a business, or for businessmen to then make money and branch out into the property market. Overall, they seem to have had no real trouble becoming homeowners in Newcastle, and many took advantage of the low property prices in certain parts of the city. Although discrimination appears not to have been common amongst Pakistanis, it was often perceived as being possible and this was one factor that led to these migrants purchasing property. In general, there seems to be a widespread belief that renting property from either the council or a landlord made one more vulnerable. Yet this was only one reason for which they had opted for home ownership. Others included personal ambition, as a desire to make money out of property, and the desire to live in close proximity to people from the same ethnic and religious backgrounds. In particular, they of course wanted to have access to mosques and Muslim centers and events. This is not to say that their experiences in Newcastle's housing sector have been without racism and disadvantage. To the contrary, there have certainly been incidents of both. Yet there was a widespread emphasis on behalf of the interviewees regarding their ability to mold and achieve their housing aims and aspirations, and the importance of their own communities rather than external factors in managing to do so. to be the case across Britain, Bangladeshi's housing patterns in Newcastle have distinguished them from other South Asian communities. They have often tended to rely on council housing and experience increased levels of residential concentration. In Newcastle, many have traditionally lived on one specific estate in the Yazik ward of the city's inner west end called the Bentic Estate, which is this area here at the, in the south of Elzik. Others lived in Fenham, in the west of the city, and some lived in Heaton, in the east. Yet for many of these Bangladeshi families, the Benson estate was the only area in which they would live. This resulted in the estate being full and having a waiting list, whilst the remaining of the city's council housing estates did not at all have a significant number of ethnic minority residents. 
There is much evidence in Newcastle of Bangladeshis experiencing poor housing conditions and racial harassment. With common problems including damp, overcrowding, broken windows, graffiti, and verbal and physical abuse. Yet despite these often widespread problems, they demonstrated a commitment to the areas in which they had settled. Overall, whilst the differences in housing tenure and neighborhood choice cannot be denied, Newcastle's Muslim ethnic minority communities have nevertheless all shared a strong desire for residential autonomy and success in reaching and retaining their housing aims. The Pakistani community has always forcefully rejected local authority housing, despite Newcastle's West End having rows of empty, yet good quality, council homes. Whilst over half of the city's Bangladeshi community has traditionally lived in council housing, it has largely refused to live outside of the Benton state. Over the years, it has invested a lot into this area, and the estate has gradually become the hub of the city's Bangladeshi community. Furthermore, when asked about their housing aspirations, owner occupation was the most popular answer amongst Bangladeshi respondents, and their representation in this type of tenure has indeed been gradually increasing. There is even a willingness among some members of the community to eventually move to a more affluent area of the city when this becomes a financially viable option. This shows that residential mobility is a consideration and that Bangladeshis are increasingly demonstrating traits and aspirations that Pakistanis displayed some time ago. In Bremen, as throughout Germany, the rental market plays more of a role amongst ethnic minorities. Yet, as in Newcastle, their housing experiences and patterns have not been the result of discrimination or constraints. Rather than being attracted to neighborhoods as a result of affordable property prices, they initially settled in those areas in which employers were based and with which they were therefore familiar. Few of them even considered living elsewhere, claiming that they felt more comfortable being in areas they knew and close to family and friends. Yet increasingly, they have succeeded in migrating to other neighborhoods of their choices and are increasingly showing a preference for owner occupation and the practice of purchasing multiple properties with the aim of renting them out. On the whole, Turkish Muslims in Bremen have experienced a more delayed and rigid development, with their residential patterns showing signs of constraint and dependency well into the 1990s. To the contrary, in Newcastle, Pakistani and Bangladeshi streets and neighborhoods emerged more organically from the outset, with many having succeeded in breaking out into the more prestigious areas like Jasmine and Gosforth already during the 1980s and 1990s. In Bremen, Turkish Muslims have taken a lot longer to start to settle in these districts' equivalents. In Bremen, by the early 1980s, 19 districts, or almost one quarter of the city, were between 5% and 7.5% ethnic minority. Yet individual groups tended to continue to be found in certain areas, with over 60% of Turks, for example, still residing in one of five districts. All of these five districts were areas in which their initial employers were actually based. So they hadn't actually ventured far from their original areas of settlement. Yet despite ethnic minority residential concentration, Bremen was not home to neighborhoods or areas 
that could be perceived as ghettos, at least by US terms. An early 1980s report concluded that out of 42 sub-neighborhood ethnic minority areas of concentration in the city, only one had more migrants than German residents, and that there were only two others that were over 30% ethnic minority. Yet residential clustering was undoubtedly greater amongst the Turkish community, with the migrant population of five of these areas being over 90% Turkish. Yet overall, only just over 50% of Bremen's ethnic minority population lived in these 42 areas. And as a result of the manner in which migrants have increasingly become spread across the city, it could be assumed that they have been experiencing few problems adjusting to the local housing market. Furthermore, it has also been pointed out that there were Germans, sorry, more Germans, than migrant residents in just under 98% of sub-neighborhood ethnic minority areas of concentration. In Bremen, as throughout Germany, it has been the Turkish population during the post-war period that has played the largest role in shaping the culture, streets, and identities of neighborhoods. Yet as their stay in Bremen evolved, their housing demands and the amount of rent that they were willing to pay became increasingly similar to those of the German population. It was also found that Turks who lived outside the areas of migrant concentration were more likely to align themselves socially and culturally with the German population than those migrants who lived within the ethnic minority hubs. These were characteristics that were present amongst my Muslim interviewees, with many of them finding that their sense of attachment to Bremen's migrant epicenter diminished the longer that they lived in the city. Some had already moved away from areas like Kupalinen, whilst others still had ambitions to do so. Yet, as in Newcastle, despite overcrowding and poor housing conditions not being uncommon, there were those who could not imagine their lives unfolding outside of Bremen's ethnic minority hubs. These were neighborhoods in which they had placed their ethnic and religious identities, and which, despite the shortcomings, they saw as their long-term homes. So, in what ways have Newcastle and Bremen's Muslim ethnic minorities' employment and housing patterns acted as a consequence of, or catalyst for, instances of cohesion, integration, and multiculturalism within both cities' neighborhoods? The explanations are perhaps best centered around the four key themes and arguments I raised at the beginning of the paper. Firstly, whilst Britain and Germany's differing post-war immigration frameworks did have an initial impact on their behavior in both employment and housing, Muslim migrants' self-determination and autonomy soon took charge. Therefore, regarding long-term integration, the legacies of Britain and Germany's post-war immigration histories should not be seen as contrasting. In both Newcastle and Bremen, during the period from the 1960s to the 1990s, there was an increasing similarity in Muslim ethnic minority performance and attitude in both of these areas. Whilst this paper agrees with Leo Lucasen's assertion that it is colonial migrants who succeed in identifying with the cultures of their receiving societies the fastest, it also exposes the extent to which former guest workers are catching up. Yet this choice and agency only succeeded in both cities as a result of certain levels of cohesion, integration, and multiculturalism. 
Muslim ethnic minorities in both cities have demonstrated sufficient levels of awareness and knowledge regarding their local surroundings to have successfully attained economic and residential independence. For example, both cities have witnessed Muslim migrants working alongside their British and German counterparts as either factory workers or public transport drivers. And there are still, of course, many cases of this taking place. Yet many chose to purposely extract themselves from these types of work in order to pursue self-employment. Furthermore, a large proportion of their businesses developed depended on interaction, on interaction with their local British and German societies, and that their suppliers, contractors, and customers have traditionally been either British or German. <clears throat> In Newcastle, this was perhaps best seen with the credit drapers, the door-to-door salesmen, who started out already during the 1960s. This was a profession that has often been seen as being particular to Tyneside, so to the Newcastle region. It was a type of work that had been practiced by both local white residents and also by Jewish migrants at the turn of the 20th century. So in this sense, South Asian Muslims arriving to post-war Newcastle took on a ready-made local entrepreneurial role. Since the shops and restaurants in the city, as elsewhere, catered primarily for the local white British population. In Bremen, there is an increasingly widespread practice of purposely tailoring businesses for German clientele. Some did this by opening businesses in Bremen's upper and middle class areas, or by choosing to sell only high quality products. Some even went as far as to refuse to hire ethnic minority workers <coughs> and not allow their Muslim female employees to wear headscarves. Those Turkish Muslim businessmen working in the restaurant and catering trade often chose to specialize in European and mainly Italian food, claiming that this is what Germans prefer and therefore what makes more economic sense. The manner in which migrant businessmen in Germany are increasingly abandoning their own ethnic communities and cultures in order to attain economic success is a pattern that has recently become more dominant in the literature and is gradually being more and more recognized. Furthermore, government documents and oral history interviews have highlighted a clear link between opting for self-employment and having a strong bond with Bremen and Germany more widely. This has resulted in a greater number of self-employed Turks taking up German citizenship than has been the case amongst the wider Turkish population. In other words, founding a business was often the result of both the desire to be economically independent and a feeling of loyalty to Germany. The same can be said about property ownership, with this only becoming a consideration for many once a future in Germany was secure. Yet this commitment, this commitment to the local surroundings has also been witnessed in both cities at a more grassroots level. Both Muslim businesses in streets and neighborhoods have played a pivotal role in these migrants' lives. They acted as epicenters of migrant communities, Shops, restaurants, and even hairdressers were the places where adults went to gossip and talk about politics, where children often went after school, and where Muslim migrants in both cities were able to expose their religious, ethnic, and cultural identities while still engaging with their local host societies. Not only did Newcastle and Bremen, Bremen's Muslim entrepreneurs perceive their businesses and homes as the result of hard work and sacrifice, 
but also as signs of success, and more importantly, as signs of integration and a commitment to their local surroundings. Overall, they were proud of their homes and the way in which they either formed a part of an ethnic neighborhood or had succeeded in breaking out into white areas. Oral history interviews showed that Muslim migrants in both cities perceived themselves as being part of multicultural, sorry. <clears throat> Muslim migrants in both cities um, perceived themselves as having achieved integration. Those residing in ethnic concentrations saw themselves as being part of multicultural neighborhoods, where they lived alongside both fellow migrants and members of either the British or the German population. Those in predominantly white communities felt proud that their housing experiences and ambitions increasingly resembled those of their British and German neighbors. For many, the neighborhood was more important than their individual properties because of what it portrayed about their relationship with their local surroundings. My second argument is that Islam did not play an overwhelming role in, the sh in shaping Newcastle South Asians or Bremen's Turks' employment and housing careers. Although the academic literature is increasingly calling for Islam to be recognized as an influencing factor in these sectors, and reveling in claims that Europe is failing to integrate its Muslim migrant communities, there is no evidence to suggest that Islam has acted as a barrier to integration in either Newcastle or Bremen. Whilst it did sometimes play a role in determining the types of businesses they ran and the neighborhoods in which they lived, religious affiliation does not appear to have disadvantaged or hindered either, Muslim, either city's Muslim ethnic minority population. Furthermore, the notion that Islam acts as a defining factor in the migratory experience is further undermined by the fact that Muslim migrants in both Newcastle and Bremen have traditionally adhered to patterns and traits that have been exhibited by both Muslim and non-Muslim ethnic minority communities in Britain, Germany, Europe, and indeed across the Western world. Thirdly, this study concludes that the development of self-employment and Muslim ethnic minority neighborhoods and both Newcastle and Bremen was not the result of discrimination, enforced segregation, or a lack of alternative opportunities. Contrary to the dominant historiographical argument, this work argues for the triumph of minority agency. In the employment and housing sectors of both cities, the performances and conduct of Muslim South Asians and Turks were the direct result of consciously made choices and decisions many of which reflected long-term ambitions. Whilst to a certain extent Newcastle South Asian Muslims and Bremen's Turkish Muslims were the masters of their own destinies, their achievements were also further facilitated by one further factor. Indeed, this, work, this paper's fourth key argument is that Muslims in Newcastle clearly benefited from belonging to a relatively small and close-knit community. Not only did this mean that they were often successful in securing the necessary financial capital and resources from within their own communities, but also that their business rarely reached a saturation point and affordable housing stock was seldom exhausted. This was not only reflected in local government reports and documentation, but only also stressed by members of the city's Muslim migrant population. This was also the case in Bremen during the early years of settling especially. Muslim migrants in both cities felt that their local surroundings provided them with opportunities 
that were not available for minority groups across Britain and Germany more widely. They believed they lived in cities in which not only was integration possible, but had actually already been achieved. A characteristic that was often thought to set Newcastle and Bremen apart from cities with larger ethnic minority populations, like Birmingham or Berlin, for example. Many were proud to refer to themselves as Geordie Muslims or Bremer Muslims, and stressed the extent to which they were able to play a part in their local surroundings. There was an underlying sense amongst Muslims in both cities that they lived in distinguished and truly multicultural locations. Lastly, it seems as though Muslim ethnic minorities in both Newcastle and Bremen are becoming integrated at a faster pace than is often assumed to be the case for Britain and especially Germany more widely. Yet it is easy to comprehend why the debate on the integration of migrant communities in the West, and especially those that are Muslim, is often marred by claims of incompatibility and conflict. European Muslims are currently at the center of a vibrant political and academic debate regarding the future of multiculturalism, if it has one, Islamic fundamentalism, and the relationship between Islam and the West more widely. Yet whilst the perceived incompatibility of Europe and its Muslims, its Muslims is being discussed on one level, Muslim migrants' everyday lives are being carried out on another. Overall, there appears to be a breach between what is often an academic and political search for conflict and the daily experiences of ethnic minority communities. This is not to say the incidents of racism, discrimination, and Islamophobia do not take place. Indeed, the difficulties faced by migrant populations in Britain, Germany, and wider afield have been well documented, and some examples have been provided in this paper. Nevertheless, there is often a clear discrepancy between the media and academic frenzy and the grassroots reality. As has been seen regarding both Newcastle and Bremen, positive relations between the city's Muslim ethnic minorities and their local host societies have been frequent and examples of integration common. Whilst this paper does not claim to represent all aspects and features of Muslim migrants' experiences in Newcastle and Bremen, it does hope to have offered a small glimpse into instances of multiculturalism, cohesion, and integration.